You know what they say, a bad video game is bad forever, but a delayed game can eventually be good, which is why nobody should ever release video games. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week, we are talking about Horizon Zero Dawn, a fantastic game about robot dinosaurs that just came to PC. So let's discuss, shall we? I'm Jason Trier. I'm Maddie Myers. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. And here we are for another episode of Triple Click. Hey! Everybody's favorite gaming podcast. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it's mine. It's, you know, it's it's. Uh, I think it's everybody's. That's what I heard. Everybody called me up earlier this morning. It's my baby's. My baby just said, ah? Of course. Definitely, of course. definitely her favorite show. Um, and speaking of favorites, my favorite people in the world are all the people who signed up to support us during Max Fun Drive. It is now over. You Yay. no longer have to hear us uh, talking about Max Fun Drive. But thanks for uh, signing up. Everybody who signed up, we had a whole lot of people become members to support us, which is an amazing feeling and Super very cool. exciting. It's very so cool. cool. It's just, it's it's really cool that we get to do this show and have all of your support and just be like a totally listener-supported show. That rules. But um, really, I just wanted to say thanks to everybody. We all wanted to say thank you yes, to all thanks. of you who signed up to be members. And just thank you. You don't have to hear about Max Fun Drive for a whole other year, even though... <laughs> Going by my NPR, like my my public radio experience, it'll feel like it's Max Fun Drive immediately. Like if you were annoyed by those ads, you will be annoyed yeah, by them. Yeah, time is weird yeah. anyway yeah. now, so that's I'm pretty true. sure a year is happening tomorrow. I think. Right. I think that's how it works now. Right. Right. <laughs> yes, but save that talk for the time loop beans gas. That's, that's coming true. Up. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. When we all begin to escape our time loop, the COVID time loop. So. Speaking of time loops, we are going to be talking about a video game from 2017 on this episode. (laughs) And it's like it's a brand new video game because it just came out on PC. That game, of course, is Guerrilla Games' Horizon Zero Dawn, which was a PS4 exclusive released in 2017 and has just now come to PC as well. So a lot more people can be playing it. And one of us is playing it for the first time, that one of us being Maddie Myers. So we thought we would do a triple play (laughs) and talk some about Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, Real quick. When you say Guerrilla Games, Horizon Zero Dawn, here's a funny story. The other day I mentioned on Twitter, I was like, Horizon is so impressive, and it's particularly impressive because it's a studio that was only making first-person shooters, and they pivoted to this open-world RPG. And someone responded to me being like, actually, uh, there was the great underrated uh, open-world game, Red Faction Guerrilla. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I realized, oh, you must think because it has Guerrilla in the title. It's made by Guerrilla Games. That's how it works. Like- you know, Guerrilla Games. <laughs> yep. Games about Guerrilla Fighters? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, they're all games about Guerrilla Fighters. Yes, you put your game studio in the title of, like how Bungie is made by Halo Studios, etc. So we're going to be talking about Horizon Zero Dawn. Jason, you and I have been playing uh, the game again from the beginning. I think we're both playing on PC. Yes. And Maddie, you're playing it for the first time and you're playing on PS4. So I want to start with you. (laughs) I've just gone fully back in time. Yes. Still playing it on a PS4. Don't even have a PlayStation 4 Pro, honestly. So I'm I'm really, really... really could have had this identical experience in 2017 and I just chose not to there are plenty of reasons not to because a lot of really good games came out in 2017 and mm-hmm. I just it was like the same week as one. Breath of the Wild it was like yep. five days before Breath of the Wild I know which I remember playing and but there were a bunch of other cool games that year don't make me list them all people can google them you but definitely I just, don't have to <laughs> I never got around to it so it's really cool to play it now in a time displaced version of it where I'm completely separated from the discourse about the game but I have this distance memory of the kinds of things people talked about, but I can also form my own conclusions about it. So 
I am super enjoying this game so far. <laughs> it is an open world game. You play as a woman who is voiced by Ashley Birch, who is a wonderful actress and does a great job with this with this character. So it takes place in the future. I may as well summarize what oh, yeah, the story ahead. is about, because why not? It takes place in the future. There's a bunch of robots walking around, but it's a dilapidated version of our world. And certain segments of society have uh, popped up again in a sort of, uh, how do I describe this? So the game, the game posits that humanity will regress. I don't know what other word to use here, but this is... <laughs> This is probably the part of the game that I find the most questionable is because I'm like, would, would humans really do this? Would they react to this situation in this way? Reminds, but, reminds me of our Last of Us conversation. Yeah, 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 right? Yeah. I always have a lot of thoughts about apocalypses and what I think would and wouldn't happen, but I'll, I'll try to go easy on that while I, while I start describing this game. We can get into it later. So mm-hmm. she, uh, the main character voiced by Ashley Birch is named Aloy and she is an outcast of this tribe of people. You don't know why she's an outcast and she has to become a part of the tribe again or she's decided that she's going to become a part of the tribe again by undergoing this Hunger Games-esque uh, <laughs> battle with these other other characters who are part of the tribe. And it's it's like a, I don't know, I, I'm probably doing a terrible job describing this game, but it, it's it's very moody to me, and and there's a lot of mysterious aspects to it because there's all this uh, futuristic technology that's still lying around in this world, but there's also this whole wor- whole um, universe of the tribes that's been invented for the game, and so you're learning about the old technology that's still lying around and that Aloy finds, but you're also learning about this version of the world and questioning that as well. Like the tribe is matriarchal, for example, and they have their whole religion that revolves around the technology that they find. And that, I don't know. So I, I'm really enjoying piecing together the mystery of the game. And yeah, I've, I've talked for long enough. What do you, what do you guys think of it the second time around? You already know the whole mystery of the game. So you're less overwhelmed perhaps by piecing it together. I'm finding the narrative part of it really interesting the second time because the game gives very specific and clear explanations for almost everything that you may have a question about, which is a cool thing to then know when you go back to the beginning. And this game, when you start playing it, it seems very clumsy in a lot of ways and sort of, you know, the game itself is also just as a gameplay thing. It's like an amalgamation of a whole lot of different types of games. And I think there's kind of a school of thought out there that I'll see uh, people saying that I understand, which is sort of, ah, oh, this game didn't grab me. I started playing it and it was just another open world game. Right. And I could totally see feeling that in the first few hours. And I played this entire game and I loved this game. Like by the end of it, I actually thought the story was really brilliant. And it's because it does this parallel narrative thing that I've never quite seen done in the way that this game does it. A lot of what it's doing is like familiar, but it's in the execution. I think that it really works well. And it's particularly so it's these two stories and you you're kind of already getting it right in what you've played and it's that there's the story of the ago which is essentially the story of the apocalypse of what happened mm-hmm. to end the world and then there's Aloy's story and the story of you know her quest to discover what happened and who she is and who the people are and she's it's they're intertwined because she's learning about 
the past and the past, the story of the past explains why things are the way that they are. And each aspect of the civilization, the technology, the knowledge and the lack of knowledge that people have, it's all explained like very clearly and purposefully. Through, it's worth noting through like audio logs and video logs that you right. find yeah. throughout the game. And there's a lot more story in this game than I thought there was going right. to be. There's I just want to throw lot. that in. Like I thought this was like an open world action game that had just a little sprinkling of a, you know, techno apocalypse in the past and whatever that's just cool scene setting this is like mass effect dialogue choices you're deciding what kind of person Aloy is going to be and what her choices will be and it's way more story heavy and cutscene heavy than I was expecting so it's also that kind of game the narrative director I believe that was his title on the game or one of the main writers is a guy, this guy named John Gonzalez who used to who was also a, a, a lead writer on um, Fallout New Vegas so you can see mm. a lot of the influences there yeah I remember yeah. they brought in didn't Meg Janth do some writing the eight, writer oh, of 80, Day, 80 Days I think we she we interviewed her at GDC yeah, and she said she just did that. some yep. sort of like they had a lot of writers come in and just write some of the text logs and, and a lot of like smart writers on there yep mm-hmm. and yep. she did some of that so they had really she's an amazing writer I think there were probably a lot of writers who were great because just to finish the thought about this parallel narratives thing the the story of the apocalypse the text log story the story that you learn through these text logs is great I think like it's one of the most gripping tales of the apocalypse that I've encountered it just is like a really good kind of uh, airport read, but I mean that in a really good way. I found it just so engrossing. The performances are so good. The text logs and the little personal stories you learn about. You'll go into a bunker and it's full of all these people who died and it's like their stories as they dealt with the fact that they were about to die, that the world is ending. And like yeah. some of that stuff is so great. And it does tie in with Aloy's story, even though her story is on its own. I think that that is the weaker part of the narrative for me. It's fine. Like it's a cool chosen one, whatever, like quest. And it's it's cool. And like the choice you make and the narrative decisions which don't really have that much bearing on the story uh, at certain points they do like that's fine but the real meat of that is just fighting huge robot dinosaurs and like that rules but the story <laughs> yeah. I was just so surprised to have a like you know go collect and listen to all of these audio log story be great especially because mm-hmm. the very man at the very beginning the first thing you do as a kid is you you're dropped into this cave and then there's just mm-hmm. audio logs everywhere and you spend all this time listening to audio logs and i remember the first time i played it being like this is so dire like i'm so not into this why am i listening to audio logs and the second time through because i was like i knew that it was going to be a good story i was paying attention i was like oh this is good stuff <laughs> like i can't wait for more Oh man, yeah. I don't. I don't know if either of you played South Park: The Stick of Truth, but there's. Uh, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did right. There's a the sequence, alien ship. You go to an alien ship. Oh man, <laughs> and and you get to the alien ship, and the entire thing is like you keep finding audio logs, and it's a guy who's dying talking about like why am I recording all these audio logs? Oh my god, there's so many audio logs here. And he just keeps talking about audio. Logs. There's a thing at the very beginning of Horizon where there's a guy who he says, "Oh, they asked me to record this for posterity," and then he's like, mm-hmm. "Jesus Christ!" He's like, "Think of all the things I've done for posterity," and in the context of the story, that's actually like there's a lot of stuff like that that's really neat. Um, once <laughs> you're sort of you've put it all together um i have some thoughts that i'll give in a second but maddie first of all have you met the character silas yet lance reddick's character i don't think so oh lance okay. reddick's in this oh, game oh yes he is great 
can't wait to meet him. So Lance Reddick <laughs> plays a major role in this game. And once you start meeting him, then the mysteries become even more like, oh man, like you, mm-hmm. you'll want to even know even more what's going to happen, which is really cool. Um, so yeah, so I actually, you guys talked a lot about the story. I want to talk about the gameplay because yes, sure. I've been playing, the last game I played right before this was Ghost of Tsushima, which I've played a bunch of, probably will go and play some more of, although it's kind of a bummer playing PS4 games after you have the smooth like 60 frames a second on PC. <laughs> but um, I'm playing Horizon on PC. And one of the things that's notably different is that uh, just the the core kind of verbs of what you do in Horizon are so much more fun than what you do in Ghost of Tsushima. Ghost of Tsushima is a fun game. It's a good game overall. Um, but there's only so many times you can just like sneak around and stab dudes in the same ways before you're just like, okay, like this is, I've had mm-hmm. enough of this Assassin's Creed outpost gameplay. Whereas Horizon, um, you encounter so many different types of dinosaurs, of robot dinosaurs. They all have different weaknesses. You have a ton of different weapons that you can use and you gain more and more over the course of the game from slings to like um, trap caster things that you can set to like sharpshooting bows which are sniper rifles essentially and regular bows and also it feels so good like they've really mastered the bow shooting thing which by the way unrelated note Kirk I know you're obsessed with bow shooting Uh, something I was thinking about (laughs) recently as I was playing this was like what was the first game to like really nail the bow and arrow and that would make for a good Kotaku article if any of us still worked at Kotaku like the tracing the lineage well I did an article ranking bows I did but there was one game it might have been the original tomb or the tomb raider reboot that like really yeah, that's started what I was nailing the, well the far bone. cry yeah. 3 i believe was the first one to like make mm. a bow a really major part of the game it was a first person shooter and a little bit different but i there were probably games before that i think that was the oldest game in that ranking that i did and tomb yeah. raider um 20 what was that 2013 that was also a very good bow that and that one is designed really well better than the far cry one yeah well now all bows kind of feel the same like they feel like they have the same like l2 pull back like twang like it's all the same yeah. kind of mechanic and I think it was mastered like this decade which is cool to see it's cool to see game designers like yeah. really master the mechanic but Horizon I think does it best of all um, for a number of reasons and it's so satisfying to like knock a weak point plate off of a robot oh. dinosaur and just like um, there's so many cool things that you can do like you because you can slow down time as many bow and arrow games let you do you can just mm-hmm. kind of like like have Aloy in slow motion like running back and like sh- firing an arrow into like a dude's eye and just watching this robot dinosaur explode it is so cool and cinematic and fun to play that I am just I might be enjoying it even more the second time around because one of the sure. problems with the PS4 version is the text is so small and you're like you're squinting <laughs> it's at actually your TV. not that bad I wonder if they updated it since you two played it because very I possible. am finding the text to be very bearable so let me just go ahead and say that <laughs> (laughs) and I both played it like either before launch or right around launch sure yeah I think they I think they embiggened it because the text it's good looks good and I always play games on a computer monitor so I I never notice text also an important piece of context here is that when Kirk and I first played this and if you go back and listen to like really old split screen episodes we were both playing Breath of the Wild at the same time or had just finished Breath of the Wild and so it was impossible not to make the comparisons and when you're playing Breath of the Wild and you can climb on everything and glide down every possible cliff and you don't have to worry about fall damage or whatever and then you go to this more restrictive open world it's really hard to like make that leap without thinking too hard and like getting a little frustrated by the constraints of horizon, but playing it Mm -hmm. on its own. Now I'm just 
super enjoying it and like ready to play through the entire game again, which I didn't think I would do, but like I knew I really liked this game, but I find that I am loving it and like would highly recommend it to everyone out there. Yeah. I'm very relieved that I'm playing this game in the era after I got super into Assassin's Creed Origins mm-hmm. because that is a weird comparison to make perhaps but that was the game where I really trained myself to like stealth and be like I'm gonna just enjoy hiding in the tall grasses for an extremely long time which before (laughs) that game I truly didn't have the patience for it I just had never sat down and forced myself to enjoy that and be like gaming can be about patience and it can just be about watching a walk animation and that's all part of the game and it's a puzzle to be solved and that is a huge part of Horizon in a way that can be very satisfying. I suppose you don't have to level up the the stealth tree although that's what I've been doing and really enjoying is playing it like a puzzle game where I'm figuring out Mm -hmm. the most effective way to approach each situation without anyone seeing me at any point and that is super, super satisfying. Like, I like the combat anyway. Like, if you want to get in the mix with a robot dinosaur, that's fine, and you can still survive if you want to do that. But the puzzle aspect of it and the patience aspect is also super satisfying to me. And I'm, I don't know, I'm just glad that now I can enjoy this kind of game. It feels like I've unlocked a different part of my brain that is capable of being patient (laughs) and enjoying this genre, which previously I hadn't. So that's lucky too. (laughs) Have you run into any of the actual puzzles yet? I guess I haven't. I'm, you know, okay. how long is this game, man? It's, well, it's super long. Well, so the part you start yeah. off, it sounds like you're still in the opening like area. So once you get yes. out of there, you get into the open world, and then you can like explore wherever and like get there. Are, like these big dinosaurs that are the towers of this game, and you unlock those and unlock regions, mm-hmm. sort of like Ubisoft game. But so one of the highlights of the game, and and uh, Kirk and I both loved this part of the game, is there there are a few different like vaults that are like these optional little robots robotic puzzles that you have to solve and you go under mm. and they're like little dungeons essentially. Like Lara Croft's optional tombs in Tomb Raider 2013? Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what they are. Yeah, no, it's very clearly like inspired by the tombs because yeah, you go and you solve a ton of puzzles and then you get something cool mm. at the end. Yeah, that rules. That yeah, these are great. the cauldrons, right? Those And they're really cool looking too. Yeah, that's what they're called. Oh yeah, I did cauldrons. just talk to someone who told me about yeah. that. Yeah, I think awesome. you like, have to do one and then maybe a couple of them are optional. Yeah, yeah. and then other ones open up. Yeah, so I want to like rave about the gameplay because I have all these specific thoughts too. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the stealth stuff, like the Assassin's Creed style stuff is actually to me one of the weaker elements of the game only because... I don't think it's as good at stealth as like a Far Cry or as like a Ubisoft game that it's clearly borrowing so much for. Like when sure. you um, when you go to a, a enemy like bandit outpost and there's a you know there's an alarm in the middle that you have to get to and there's sen- yeah, yeah, yeah. like sentries around. <laughs> it feels so like an Assassin's Creed game, but then it's the AI is nowhere close to I think at least where it needs to be. And then there's a mission pretty early on. It's like the Revenge of the Nora mission where you have to go into this like kind of patrolled base and you have to blow up mm-hmm. a big thing of gasoline basically in the middle of the of the base and then a big fight breaks out and the whole time up to then you've been taking out outposts full of dudes and a couple of those watchers like the little robots and then uh what's it called it's like the fire spitting thing the huge ass like it's one of the first yeah. times you fight a huge friggin robot dinosaur and it totally mm-hmm. changes the dynamics of the fight because it can kill you almost instantly 
it's gigantic and like just and it storming fire. around. It bre- it shoots fire at you, so you have to be on. You have to like have it in the back of your mind at all times. It killed me when I was and playing. like not alert it until it's time to do that boss fight because if you alert it, oh, you geez. are screwed yeah. in that moment. Yeah, and even in the fight, it's like there's a bigger fight unfolding. There's AI fighting AI, and then this huge thing is just rampaging around. And that to me, it was really cool playing it the second time because I was like, ah, this is where the game says, okay, here's the kind of game this is. Because really, for me at least, when it comes down to it. This game is an amalgamation of a lot of different things. It's got a lot of the different Ubisoft things, Far Cry. Um, It's got the sort of Witcher-style side quests that branch and go in interesting places and always have a narrative twist. It's got the Mass Effect-like Witcher dialogue system. But it's Mm -hmm. Monster Hunter, and it's the fact that they borrowed from Monster (laughs) Hunter that I think is what, like, kicks this game over the top for me. Because the fights against the dinosaurs in this game are outrageously good. I can't believe how good they are. The fact that you, each enemy has its own, like, you know, distinct weak spots. They give you the slowdown time ability very early on, which is super crucial, so you can start to target those those spots Um, with, like, your terror blast arrows. Now that I know how all the things really work, which it took a long time playing the game, I don't think it explains everything that well, actually. It doesn't. I It didn't really feel to me like I had the hang of it until six hours in or so, because I was just like, I don't really know. And it might even be at the end of the game. You might even look back and be like, oh, (laughs) wow, there's there's whole systems I didn't understand. I don't have the hang of it as it happens. I'm going to run into six more dinosaurs. I don't know how to Here's be. an example of a thing. The rope launcher, which is really, really yes. useful, absolutely crucial for tethering a, a dinosaur down. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't even understand. There's a UX thing where if you shoot one rope, it sticks into the thing and then she sticks it into the ground and a circle starts to fill up or the rope like icon over the dinosaur starts to slightly fill and then you hit it with another rope and it fills a little bit more and a little bit more. And then when you finally get it to the top, a little ring appears around it and the robot is staggered. So there's a whole system there where if you have to shoot a bunch of ropes into it, and it's the same with fire. When you're shooting with fire arrows, like it slowly fills up and then it catches on fire and a white ring appears around the circle. Wait, I don't understand why you're talking about shooting ropes into it. The ropes are like setting traps. You set ropes on the ground. No, no, no. The rope the rope caster I'm talking about, not the not, trip yeah. caster. The rope caster is like a it's like a spear harpoon gun. Like it shoots got a harpoon it, into it, the thing. So that is like you can slow them down with one rope, but if you shoot like seven ropes into one, you can really right, like they, stick it and then it yeah. gets stuck. And then you can go do a critical hit. There's all this stuff that like it doesn't fully explain. And I remember getting wrecked when I was playing it for a while. And it just took a long time to learn that stuff. And now that I know it all, the game is much more, you know, approachable. Like it's a lot easier. Yeah. But it's yeah. just those fights like are they're so good. The the <laughs> every dinosaur is different. When you start fighting like the T-Rexes, there's these flying dudes that you'll run into later. There's these huge like pterodactyls, they're super cool. Sweet. There are a lot of big <laughs> optional fights too. Oh yeah, those mm-hmm. are the best ones. There's a great optional T-Rex fight that you can do. But the Frozen Wilds or Frozen North, what's it called? Frozen, Frozen Wilds, Wilds maybe? The, You're right. Yeah, it's like the DLC. The DLC, stuff? which I reviewed for Kotaku and then started a new game plus after that because I was like, God, I really love this game, like playing the DLC. <laughs> there is an enemy in that. It's this huge bear that you fight that's the most wild, like, robot monster that you fight. It's like a giant bear. It's so aggressive. It's, like, constantly on you. You're just, like, running around trying to get away, even on easy difficulty or normal difficulty. And it's just... The the alchemy that they hit, like the balance of you getting pushed around by these huge dinosaurs, having to like constantly react. You're always on the defensive because they do so much damage. You have to be creative. You can slow down time. The controls, the slide. I think this game has like the best slide of any it's game ever. You can slide, slide for like oh, 500 yards like down a mountain and yeah. that it slows time when you're sliding and aiming. There's just so much in the feel of it that's just 
unbelievably good. Yeah, well, that's really where it like rises above the sum of all of its parts. Is in that kind of that chemistry that you described, Maddie. By the way, I was going to say before a tip, a pro tip is that if you shoot uh, fire arrows at like a canister on a robot, um, you can make it explode. But sometimes you have to shoot like two or three fire arrows into the canister, and like you have to pay attention to that gauge that Kirk yeah. was talking about, right, where it just right, fills right. up. But you'll know it when it happens because literally it'll this explode. explode. And yeah, yeah no, it took yeah. me a while to figure out that fire arrow gauge which mm-hmm. is just a good tip in general mm-hmm. like for a while I was like I feel like the fire arrows suck and I don't even understand what the point of them is and then I started noticing how enemy behavior changes if you've hit them several times in a row mm-hmm. with a fire arrow and I was like wait a minute there's something else going on here like they will actually be on fire mm-hmm. and then burn for a while and that'll continue to deplete health which is like super helpful if you're fighting a bunch of human enemies but it's also good to know like how they affect the robots that are weak to fire which is not all of right, them and which it's is, important mm-hmm. to pay attention yeah, yeah you have to so when you're yeah when you're like focusing you can see their weaknesses in addition to their weak points it'll show you like on the bottom it'll be like lightning bolt or, like fire or whatever i do think mm-hmm. that that scanning um interface is a little bit of a weak point because you can't yeah, you have to scan the individual it slows part. you way down to it's more like in the heat of the moment you're trying to scan and like that little reticle just doesn't always go where it's supposed to go like tagging enemies is also kind of hard they're working out some kinks yeah tagging enemies is dumb but yeah i mean it's it's kind of irritating and in the heat of the moment that's the last thing that you care about you're just yeah. like ah, i'm just gonna throw right i'm just gonna start shooting things at it which is works <laughs> a lot of the time one yeah, of my favorite enemies of. is the crab have you fought a crab robot yet maddie i don't think so apparently all the good stuff happens after the first 10 hours in this game so i guess i'll have to keep playing it well so i wanted to mention also <laughs> that even though it seems like you've been in the opening area forever one of the things that's actually really refreshing about about this game is that it doesn't wear out its welcome it's not like one of those 70 hour quests it's actually like like a neat like 30 hours the entire mm-hmm. thing the entire if you main it to be. right you yeah. can probably do it you can take you can spend longer or less time on it if you want um but actually so some of the side quests are like really good and they're they've gotten that whole like witcher style mm-hmm. like complicated side quests down where it's like this healthy mixture of like fighting and investigating and tracking and talking to people um and a lot of them have like ending where you can choose your your decisions like have an influence on what actually happens um so it's really got this combination of like all the art like tons of rpg mechanics plus like this this combat system that i think beats a lot of like other rpgs it's really just like like you said kirk it's like this amalgam of like all these different awesome parts from from other games and to me it just works so much better than like a lot of other games that try to do the amalgamation thing Mm -hmm. such as ghost of tsushima which again is fun but like doesn't really hold up to to Horizon. Can I say, here's a spicy take. Maybe this isn't that spicy, but... Okay, hit us. Having played a lot of Monster Hunter World, at least, like like 100-something hours of that game. 100-something? You played 100-something hours of that game? Wow. Um, having played <laughs> 100-something hours of the game, yeah, that game begets a lot of gameplay. Um, wow. I think Horizon Zero Dawn is more fun. I have a better time playing it. I think the combat is just... It's a very different kind of game. It's not designed to be this like super intense RPG the way that Monster Hunter is. The monsters in Monster Hunter are more varied and there's a lot of you know there's more going on in that game it's bigger and crunchier but man 
the actual control, like there's a stamina, it's more like Dark Souls. Playing a game that's sort of like that, you're fighting huge monsters, it is very dangerous, you have to do your homework and be careful, but there isn't all of the quite as chewy JRPG stuff with like a stamina meter and the Dark Souls style like animation locked combat. You're much more fluid, you can slide for 500 yards while shooting in slow motion. <laughs> like that, you can never do that in Monster Hunter and playing a game like that is just so cool. It's not like the one should be the other, they actually are complementary and work well together, but they it's cool that they took the Monster Hunter idea and then streamlined it into this like really fun package. I think that's really impressive because that couldn't have been easy to do. We should talk for a second about PC for performance because oh, a yeah. lot of people have been talking about that. What am I so, missing out on? So the game, I mean, a lot. there's been a lot of controversy over this port. For me, the game has run pretty well. I've been getting mm-hmm. pretty steady, good frame rate, and it looks gorgeous. What are you, what's your system like, just to give people a sense of it? I'm on a 1080, mm-hmm. so a pretty good, pretty good graphics card. Um, so yeah, it's running pretty well for me, although it has crashed like three times um it's been kind of good for me actually because sometimes i'll be like way into it and i'll be like i should go do some work and instead of playing this game and then i'll crash and i'll be like okay now i have to go work because the game crashed. The universe is telling you but mm-hmm. the, it should not be crashing as much as it is which i know a lot of like the developers said they're aware of that and have run into that and like are, are trying to fix things um but yeah the performance has been pretty good for me other than like some weird graphical glitches like i saw yeah. in one cutscene, like Aloy's teeth were all crazy, um, which was funny to watch, but very distracting. What about you, Kirk? Has it been running okay for you? Yeah, so I'm playing on a 2080, which is pretty darn fast GPU, like not absolute top of the line, but pretty fast on a pretty good PC. And it, yeah, it's fine. I'm in 1440p. It's like largely above 60 frames per second. Sometimes it dips. It does feel a little like it's maybe a couple patches shy of where it needs to be for me largely there are just times where it dips into the 50s and 40s and i'm like "Mm, i don't feel like a three-year-old ps4 game would normally necessarily be doing this just because it's so demanding i think it's just maybe they need to even out some kinks and make it work on more um different systems i have had a couple crashes when you texted me about that it crashed for you i hadn't but then i was playing yesterday and it crashed and then it did yeah yeah it just seems like contagious it needs a little love i like it on pc i thought it ran i thought it looked and ran great on ps4 like i thought this game was actually really smooth and good at 30 fps so (laughs) it looks it's such a gorgeous game i haven't had a single crash so listen (laughs) make your own decision about what you want to do here it hasn't hasn't dropped any any single time but it's gorgeous. It is a gorgeous, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. gorgeous. Video it looks game. great, and I, I, there have been some moments when I've seen like a beautiful vista or an overlook or something in the game, and I've been like, "This is probably like, really good on my PC." Yeah. But yeah. I am really enjoying lying on my couch while playing the game. So <laughs> yeah, that's clutch. There is a clarity yeah. that I find in the combat. It might just be that I'm better at it, but the that high mm. frame rate clarity of just really seeing yeah. the thing jumping at me and like rolling out of its way. I am better at it just because that probably helps. And like being in a chair and a little closer to the screen. Mm. I mean, I also. So, like, maybe using a mouse and keyboard helps with some of the precision of, I like... play with a controller, so... Oh, okay. Well, for someone, it might help. I'm sure that it makes you more precise. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I saw, like, Ben Kuchera wrote that article, right? I feel like I've seen people say that about playing with a mouse and keyboard. For me, like, third-person mm-hmm. games with a mouse and keyboard is... Yeah, it doesn't really... Weird. Yeah, it feels like it's designed to play on a controller, and so that's yeah, what I'm doing. Yeah, like, they give you slow-mo. That's, like, why they give you the slow-mo ability. Pressing a button to roll. Isn't that, isn't that the point of playing <laughs> yeah, the controller? It just feels good, man. Mm-hmm. Using the trigger to pull your bow. <laughs> the the other thing that I keep thinking about this is... A, how excited I am for Horizon 2, which uh, was announced at the PS5 event in June, but B, how much I want to play it on PC instead of having to get a PS5. Yeah. I guess. I guess so. I am excited (laughs) only because there's a lot of... 
this game has such good raw materials and then there's all this stuff at the margins that just there's room for improvement like the ux stuff we were talking about the kind of clarity mm-hmm. such as the raw materials which uh, of which there are way too many things you have to run around picking oh up. my god yeah collecting i have a clip i need to, i keep meaning to tweet this clip i have this amazing clip where the first thing i did oh this is like such a pet peeve is when a game makes your like materials bag really tiny so then you just can't pick up all the shit you need and you're in the middle yeah, of a you quest have to keep upgrading it so i yeah, like yeah. knew and i i remembered and i went and i was like okay i'm gonna just like go after this thing and i fully upgraded my resources bag it's called but then when it was fully mm-hmm. upgraded i could just pick up everything so i walked into this field and it was just like icons everywhere and then i just spent like five minutes going from thing to thing holding down y and just picking up items and it was just very I like, like doing that, i love though. no i know and that was the joke because i was like i really love doing this <laughs> What is wrong with me? It's yeah, like I was just walking thing. around pressing triangle and I'm like, wow, this is so enjoyable. Right. Like, what is wrong with me? Like, I'm just walking around a field pressing one button and yet it is the <laughs> most pleasurable thing I've done all yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, it was it was a very... Gotta, gotta collect that stuff. Yeah, it was a very funny, very video games experience. It feels good. It feels good to collect items well, and then and press then, another button then... to combine them into <laughs> a cooler item. Uh-huh. It just feels good. Well, and sometimes you see green or blue or purple items mm-hmm. and you're like, oh. Ooh. Man, gotta get some of that that legendary. Gear. It's usually something disappointing. Like it isn't like you get a cool new bow and arrow. It's always like a weird right, piece of glass, like a watch <laughs> that you yeah. can sell. But, but because of the setting of the world, sometimes I like that stuff sure. because it'll be like you find some artifact, but it's like a mug or mm-hmm. whatever, or like a pocket watch or something, and you're like, oh yeah, humans lived here. That's a thing. Also, like you know, they still live there, but there's a um, Noah Caldwell Gervais did a cool video about this, and he does, he's done a lot of travel through the sort of southwest central like with the rocky mountain area of america which is where this game is set and i liked his video because it like there are a lot of places i don't know there and if you know the area there's landmarks all over the place and it's totally clear mm. where you are at various points it's like utah right it's like nevada utah. yeah it's kind of yep yeah utah and i think maybe parts where well, you're going to california in the sequel i guess but it's kind of that part mm. of the country and there is like you'll come to a what famous building that's totally dilapidated, but there will be a statue in front of it that you can identify. And I think if you know what that stuff is, mm. it's kind of cooler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and it's fun. I mean, you mentioned you like jo- snarked about like finding an old watch or something, but it is pretty yeah. cool to see like oh, for the sure. game's descriptions of these <laughs> objects. And uh, there's a funny, a funny, uh, there's like a good sense of humor to it mm-hmm. all um, that the game is kind of like hoping that you'll laugh with it. Uh, and yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the one thing that I don't like about this story, I guess, if I'm trying to find things that I don't like about the game is that the voice acting is pretty inc- is pretty inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Um, Aloy, Ashley Birch is incredible and Lance Reddick is incredible, but other than that, it's pretty hit or miss across the board. The uh, the baby Aloy at the beginning of the game, young Aloy is, oh man. <laughs> the character model is just very strange looking. I don't really know yeah. what to say about it even. It's just every time they show yeah. that kid, I'm like, what is what's what's going on here? Yeah, good thing that's op- over yeah, fast. Yeah, she looks like a porcelain doll, yeah. but like not in a good way. No, yeah, a little bit weird. <laughs> it's spooky. Spooky child. But also like some of the some of the uh, during the proving. So that section where it's like Bast and like all these other these ridiculous characters who are just like parodies of like like 80s teen movies yeah you like meet all the other i do like though that in the proving i was like this is gonna be like a young adult novel okay i'm here for this Uh, and then instead at the end of the proving they all just get murdered and i was like oh okay never mind bye (laughs) 
You're not going to get to see any of these characters again. It's Don't a worry good about gem. it. I thought that was it's, kind of I thought that was kind of cool. It's extremely good. I thought that was good. And mm-hmm. I actually the entire game I spent like waiting for one of them to come back nope. and like to secretly be alive or something. <laughs> no. Like nope. So you go hang out with what's her name's mom. It's it's much more about mm-hmm. it's like we're, the adults are going to go do something real now that these those yep. kids are dead. Sorry. Yep. The real <laughs> the real totally game fun. starts now. And yeah, Maddie, I'm excited for you to get to Meridian because that that's like the main city of the game and mm-hmm. it's like That's my next thing. So I guess it's a real yes. game. I'm it's one of the, well, it. it's also like a gorgeous city. Like mm, some of the visuals amazing. in this game are really spectacular. Yeah, it's a cool game. It's exciting that a lot of people are playing it on PC for the first time. So, anyways, yeah, that is our triple play on Horizon Zero Dawn. Great game. Um, anybody playing it? If you have any thoughts on it, of course you can write us at tripleclick at maximumfun.org and share your thoughts on the game. All right, why don't we take a break and then we'll be back with one more thing. I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And we host Round Round Springfield. Springfield. Round Springfield is a Simpsons-adjacent podcast where we talk to your favorite Simpsons writers, voice actors, and everyone who's worked on the show to talk about shows that aren't The Simpsons. So we're going to be talking to people like David X. Cohen, Yardley Smith, Tim Long about other projects they've worked on, sometimes projects that didn't go well. Mm. Some failures. Yeah. Some rejections. Some failed pilots. (laughs) Some failed life events. Yeah. We just (laughs) talked to all the failures of The Simpsons. Yeah. So if you really love your Simpsons trivia and want to get to know the people who have worked on The Simpsons a little bit better, come by Round Springfield. Every other week on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen, I'm a hotshot Hollywood movie producer. You have until I finish my glass of kombucha to pitch me your idea. Go. All right. It's called Who Shot Ya, a movie podcast that isn't just a bunch of straight white dudes. I'm Ify Wadiway, the new host of the show and a certified BBN. BBN? Buff black nerd. I'm Alonzo Duraldi, an elderly gay and legit film critic who wrote a book on Christmas movies. I'm Drea Clark, a loud white lady from Minnesota. Each week, we talk about a new movie in theaters and all the important issues going on in the film It's like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner meets Cruising. And if it helps seal the deal, I can flex my muscles while we record each episode. I'm sorry, this is a podcast? I'm a movie producer. How did you get in here? Iffy, quick, start flexing. Bicep, lats, chest. Who shot you? Dropping every Friday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back just in time for one more thing where we each talk about one more thing for the episode. Jason, what's your one thing? My one more thing is Blizzard. I want to talk about Blizzard. This is some news that happened last week and it got me uh, pretty fascinated and excited. And so I want to talk about it. Um, So last week, uh, Bloomberg News, uh, a great video game website, reported (laughs) that uh, the staff of Blizzard were starting to uh, share salary info by creating this spreadsheet and anonymously sharing their salaries A and also their raises B. And now, so some context here is that for a long time now, there have been rumors and whispers and rumblings and Blizzard has had a reputation for underpaying employees because it has kind of the Blizzard appeal, the Blizzard effect where Mm -hmm. you go over there because you love Blizzard games, Warcraft and Diablo and Starcraft. And this is like one of the most beloved companies ever. So of course people want to go work there, right? Um, And it's been known that like if, especially if you're in departments like QA or like customer service that are pretty renowned for underpaying people regardless but also on non-dev teams which I think are kind of not treated quite as well as the dev teams at Blizzard Um, and so people have talked about this for a while complained about it for a while. Last year there was a uh, company-wide survey and uh, one of the kind of takeaways from that survey was that a lot of people were unhappy with their salaries and so the company 
said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to give out our standard raises in January of 2020 because we're going to do a company-wide, not just Blizzard, but all of Activision, um, compensation survey where we um, kind of take this whole scale look at everybody and try to figure out what they should be making based on market research and blah, 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 blah. And so they took seven months. And the promise was that any pay raises they got that were supposed to be in January, they would be back rated. So you get them whenever they come out, but you have to wait, right? And so they had people waiting. People were expecting like healthy raises based on the messaging around this. A lot of it was like, we're going we're gonna to make you guys right. We're going to make you whole. We're going to make you guys treat you guys fairly. And then it comes... And this was right now two weeks ago, so mid July. This, this, this. The results are revealed, and people get their raises. And a lot of people get terrible raises, like one percent, two percent. Some people got nothing. Some people got like decent raises, especially if they were accompanied by promotions. But most people did not get what they were hoping for or expecting. And sometimes, even when the percentage is high, they were making such a low base salary that it doesn't even matter because, like, ten percent, if you're making uh, uh, eighteen dollars an hour, is only a dollar eighty raise. So um, it was a problem, right? And so that led to like this revolt essentially where people were in slack just like like angrily tagging people i heard that that people tagged the president of the company in some of their slack messages <laughs> and like it, it felt like it sounded like geo media uh slack for That's a while there like yeah. docker slack for a while there um where people were just like angry and and really like that sort of thing I have not heard of that sort of thing happening at a game company before, which is, so it was, that itself was interesting. Um, and then this salary spreadsheet happened, and then Bloomberg News reported that, um, <laughs> does that does that sound ridiculous? And then we reported that uh, that <laughs> Blizzard, uh, within one of the Slack channels, one of the official Slack channels, where like some 870-something people were, uh, they started compiling this list and uh, I read through the list and it's like a list of requests or demands of management and it's like um, fairer pay and like transparency and promotion Whoa. transparency and better treatment for blah 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 okay. and like it's a giant itemized list and it sure looks a lot like a union contract like it looked to me exactly like mm-hmm. a union contract or like some demands a union might mm. make for example if they existed exactly yeah. it looked like the basis well, the basis of a union contract essentially it was like a lot of the mm-hmm. same stuff that I have seen in our own union contracts back in the Gawker Gizmodo days. Um, And so that was pretty wild to see because we've never seen any sort of like labor organizing like this at a game company before. So what I've heard is that they've talked about unionizing. It's like come up, but got kind of dismissed um, for all the reasons you would expect this sort of thing to be dismissed. Also, they're kind of playing with fire here and that they're doing it on a company Slack channel. Um, But so while I was reporting this, I contacted Blizzard. Blizzard said, we're ready to listen to them like we look forward to hearing them from from them directly blah 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 um so it remains to be seen as of right now last i heard today earlier today um they were still discussing like what the like finalizing their list and so they still hadn't officially gone to management or anything like that um but it will be very curious to see what happens and i wanted to hear your guys thoughts first of all but also like like this feels to me like the finally like the first big collective labor action although the the thing that that is kind of the the here is that if there isn't any, if there's no teeth behind it, like there's no potential for a strike behind it, then yeah. will it actually go anywhere? So yeah, Maddie, what are your thoughts on this whole thing? I think it's very exciting. Anytime salary transparency is happening anywhere, I think it's incredibly valuable, even if this doesn't necessarily lead to a union, although I'm clearly in favor of unions and I've said that many times, <laughs> so I'm biased in their favor. But just being transparent about salaries is a really important step. 
It's going to help people at the company no matter what. Anybody who's negotiating for a raise in the future is going to have that document to refer to. So already they've achieved something very significant in my eyes that's worth commending them for, and they've done so bravely. Yeah, although worth noting that it's it's anonymous and also it's not like verifiable, so it's not 100% transparency. But Still, yes. though, knowing what what the gap is between mm-hmm. different roles. Like even if job titles are there, that's really great. So, and it's also, <laughs> I really hope they make another slack because I feel like that's <laughs> yeah. step two. And I am hopeful for them that they figure out that that's step two, because mm-hmm. once you go outside of work hours and you start talking to your fellow workers, you can really achieve some incredible things and realize altogether that you are the people who are creating capital four CEOs who are making a lot more than you. Well, <laughs> that that's... that was part of it is the Bobby Kotick. And like actually Bobby Kotick, the CEO, his salary was on the spreadsheet like in a cheeky yeah. way. Like he's a CEO, forty it's million dollars. <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's some hesitancy about unionizing, and a lot of it is kind of that Stockholm Syndrome, like, we're a family feel, where it's like, hey, we like it here, Mm -hmm. actually, we don't want to, like, cause fights or whatever. And I think it's worth pointing out that at Gawker, when we unionized in 2015, we were all really happy at the company. Like, things were good. This is, like, right before Hogan, the company was doing really well, thanks to, like, Kinship Teals, and we were all really stoked about things. And the reason we unionized, and we all said this, was, like, we want to keep what we have. And like for the bad times, we want to be protected. And when the bad times came, which they did very quickly, we were protected, which I think is really important for people to keep in mind is that like unionizing, saying you want to unionize doesn't mean like I hate this company and I don't want to be here anymore. Um, Kirk, any quick thoughts before we move to one of you guys? Yeah, I, I agree with what you were saying, Maddie, that like unionization and organization are two slightly different things. And that often when people just on the outside thinking about this, listening to it, maybe don't have a dog in the fight exactly think about it, they'll think in binary terms and be like, either you've unionized or you have not. And that's it. Yeah. Where, like you said, even small steps of organization, even like, you know, when there's a boiling point, like it sounds like just happened, that can be a great thing. And it can just lead to more communication and collaboration among workers, which is great. And my other thought is that it's nice that Blizzard said they were looking forward to hearing from people, like the people in charge, rather than saying, what's the line? It's, we think that unions are great. They're just not great for us. <laughs> that's, what uh, they usually, that's usually the line, right? Well, that'll Classic. come if they ever actually decide to unionize. That'll I'm sure it will. Come. I totally support unions. Just they're not the right fit just for our for company. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll keep an ear out for that one. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> All right. Um, so Maddie, what is your uh, one more thing? Okay. So I don't know if you guys have heard about this video game Destiny 2. What? What's but, this uh, game? I've what? been playing it <laughs> with my friends. So oh, this is a cool game. I, I don't have a lot more to add about Destiny 2 as a video game, except to say that uh, slightly before the stream that we did, I, I started getting back into it again because I was like, I got to remember how to play Destiny 2. Mm-hmm. Arguably, I still haven't remembered how to play <laughs> Destiny 2. I may never truly remember how to play Destiny 2 if I ever knew. But I, it kind of it kind of got me back on the grind again. And I was like remembering like, oh, yeah, I have a bunch of friends <laughs> who still play this game. What are those people up to? And That's so funny. I could just be playing this game with those people. And it has become a pretty good COVID coping thing Mm -hmm. for me in that it's a very low impact socialization situation where we're playing a game together, but the people that I play with don't really care that much about how well we're doing. And so we're really just hanging out. And that is, that is so great. It is really hitting the spot in a big way for me. And yeah, so I recommend it. So here's my question for you, Maddie. 
Do you want to go get Whisper of the World? <laughs> I'm still working on it, guys. I don't I don't know how to do all the jumps yet. I will let you know when I have fully nailed. Even if you want to go, even jump. if you want to go learn, I'm happy to go hang out and I think that's the only way. Mm-hmm. Or either that or, or just getting carried through by somebody who's very patient, which could be the two of you. Yeah, maybe we fun. do it. Maybe we stream it again. What's your power level now, Maddie? Um, I don't know. I'm over eight hundred now. I, I don't remember. I'm truly not playing for that reason. And so you're just like playing for your missions and stuff? Yeah. That's that's right. Just playing strikes and hanging out with my pals. And uh, go. so it sounds like what we have to do is the three of us have to really dive in when the new Been Beyond Light comes out in November. The three of us have to just jump in. Oh, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure we'll play it. Right. Come on. It's going to be new Destiny stuff. I'm sure we'll play it. And I'm going to be so good by then. I'm going to be way over a thousand. That's true. It's so funny. Easy. So like Kirk and I pull out and you're just like, hey, I'm playing Destiny 2. And we're like, oh, God. Like, I don't know. It's a pretty great low impact game. Definitely like, it definitely is. I, I, again, am not invested in being good at it. I can't sure. emphasize yeah. that enough. It's truly a hangout yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. In a great way, which I know is the purpose of MMOs, but I feel like I hadn't quite hit the sweet spot of like enough people I know playing it at the right times. And COVID, I think, has resulted in mm. that for my friends group. And so that's probably also a boon is that multiple people I know who also aren't that invested in Destiny 2 are back on the grind again right now. So I don't know. It's just been kind of a perfect storm in my well, life. That's the nice thing about Destiny is that the grind is all that matters. Like unless you want to be <laughs> PvP master, skill doesn't right. matter. Like all you have to do yeah, is you just, do you're things. just playing it. You just yeah. play and you get your power level up and then you can you just do pick more up stuff. some orbs and then you turn yeah. around and there's another orb waiting for you. To I mean be unless you want to do like the high level raids and stuff, but like you don't that's have to. what I was gonna say skill matters on some of that really gnarly stuff, but for yeah, like eighty percent of the game. It's not that big a deal. But yeah. it's like it doesn't have to yes. so it's the perfect hangout and talk right. game you skip because stuff. you don't even have to be paying that much attention to the game mm-hmm. like oh, you can man. just be shooting the shit with your friends about life and also you're shooting aliens but like eh, it's mm-hmm. fine doesn't really matter that much that's awesome so, yeah that's cool cool game this is uh yeah but you're you're getting kirk and i you're giving us the urge to jump back <laughs> in it's a real problem <laughs> join me <laughs> it, it'll, it might happen i do feel like just to we should we should conclude the whisper of the worm like helping Maddie get that. I think we just have to do it at some point. So we have to. We've started it. Well, we should just stream again. Yeah. Well, at some point, we yeah. should. Though we could. We're, we're going to stream other games too. But yeah, that can be something we do. Yeah. Well, there is a certain. What other, other game. games? I've only heard of Destiny Two. The only game there is. It's the only game that matters. All right. Well, my one more thing is a TV show that I've been watching, and it's sort of tied to a news item too. I guess I didn't put this in the show outline, but first of all, just to recommend this show, I've been watching Doom Patrol. So is that like uh, Paw Patrol meets Doom? Uh, yeah. No, though you play as Doom. I'm guy. trying to think if there's a pop an episode called Doom Paw guy. Patrol. Each episode is something Patrol, and some of them are very funny. Mm. So like the names of each episode is that. I don't think there's been a Paw Patrol yet, but it would not surprise me if there was one at some point. Got it. So Doom Patrol is a great show. It is on HBO Max. It was previously on DC Universe, but then was brought over to HBO Max and is now just an HBO Max show. It has just concluded its second season. I'm near the end of the first season. I started watching a couple weeks ago with Emily. On A bunch of people have recommended it, and it's been always kind of recommended to me as the antidote to Umbrella Academy, which is a Netflix show that I just could not get into. Did either of you watch Umbrella Academy? 
I did, and I did not oh, complete it. Right. I am on the same page as you, and I think we talked yes, about it I on a split screen. I think we talked about it on split screen when Jason was out. That's right. And we were both like, yeah. okay, so we're not crazy. We were like, both like trying. Yeah. Yes. It was like, I was like, this show seems like it should be something that I like. It has all these aspects that I like and actors that I like, and it's just not working. What What mm-hmm. are these shows? <laughs> so they're both it. Kinda, Don't worry about it, Jason. You weren't even here. It's fine. They're Don't kind of similar. <laughs> so both of them are like misfit hero um anti-hero groups from the sort of are they cartoons dredges, or no they're live action um from the sort of dredges of comic dumb and umbrella mm-hmm. academy is like kind of like more of a wes anderson thing like a school of kids who are all gifted and then are all messed up now so it's like royal tenenbaums meets x-men meets something which like wow doesn't that sound like a great premise like, like kick ass because it's very bloody and intense and right sad. but then it, yeah. it just winds up being weird and, it, and it, it never worked for me like i didn't like the characters the vibe was weird the story was weird it just was weird doom patrol people would always say oh you should be watching doom patrol like that's the one that gets way less buzz but is much better so then season two comes around everyone's talking about it. i'm like i'm finally gonna watch it the show is great it's so great i love it to death it um Man, it's so good. It's bizarre. It's a DC show, and it's based on DC characters. The most notable character in it is Cyborg, who is in the Justice League movie, and people know him. Mm -hmm. And he kind of comes into the show as, oh, it's Cyborg. He's famous in the world of the show, because it's like a separate DC universe. Like It's not the same one with like Affleck Batman and Superman and stuff, but it is the DC world. So people know him, and he's the proper superhero, and all the rest of them are these like weird fuck-ups that like time forgot. And they're all characters from the DC vault, and there was a run I believe Grant Morrison was the writer of this in the 90s um, of the Doom Patrol. Is this different than Suicide Squad? It sounds like Suicide Squad. <laughs> no, because Squad. these aren't villains. It's very different. Um, it's, I mean, Got but it, it is like... Yeah, totally They're different. just called Doom Patrol, even though they're not villains. Well, it's no, it's just different. Like, Suicide Squad is a group of Batman villains who are all well-known and then are brought together to be their own rogues gallery and then are run by the government. Got it. Where Doom Patrol is, they were all heroes, but they're like really random heroes from like a long time ago in the DC vault that then are brought together almost as like a it's like a Guardians of the Galaxy kind of a thing and apparently mm-hmm. this is very closely based on that run of the comic and it's just awesome like it, it it's got so much going for it like the vibe is great it's very funny it starts so weird like you could watch the first episode and be like I don't know this is going to be bad but then you keep watching it and it really just casts a spell it's like I'm so into it Alan Tudyk is the villain and he's fantastic he's also the narrator oh, of the show it like exists on all these parallel dimensional levels so it has a lot in common actually with Legion if either of you watched Legion on FX I loved the first season of Legion feels yeah. very Legion-y where like you'll go inside of a character's head for a whole episode and it like exists on all these different levels. There's, oh my gosh, there's Danny the Street, the most amazing character that I won't tell anyone about just because you should watch the show. So basically this is just a glowing recommendation of Doom Patrol. I love it. It is kind of the show that I wanted Umbrella Academy to be. Um, it's it's great on a ton of levels and I think that people should watch cool. it. And the only other thing that I just want to mention is that I'm watching it and then today I'm reading this news about DC and there was this yeah. massive layoffs all through DC and like all these people in the mm-hmm. comics division were laid off. It was part of bigger layoffs at Warner Right, Brothers. and is this big Warner, Warner layoffs. Or, sorry, Warner Brothers. Yes, and so and just the fact that like it just has me reflecting on how mistreated the people who create all of these characters are when there are all these very successful transmedia you know versions of their characters like the doom patrol is super amazing and like that's a great tv show they just announced the suicide squad game like there's there's you know all this cool stuff happening out of the dc characters and yen and then like the comic world is just totally disintegrating and they're getting rid of all this talent and just like cutting people loose in the middle of a pandemic and i don't know i don't know what 
to make of that and what we will eventually make of that, of the fact that all of the people who actually created all of these ideas are so marginalized by the entertainment industry yeah. that then creates all this cool stuff based yeah. on their ideas. I mean, sounds like all of art under capitalism. It really sucks because people are people are watching so much more stuff and reading so much more and playing so much more during the pandemic mm-hmm. and that's what we're all really relying on and to know that those artists are being mistreated feels a lot worse mm-hmm. to me. I mean, it always felt bad anyway, but right now it feels very pressing and intense to know that people are getting laid off and that there are no benefits and so mm-hmm. on. I don't know. The DC news was really sad to yep. read earlier today and just be like, Oh, cool. Like these, I really wanted to watch that Harley Quinn show and maybe give DC some of my money. But now I know that if I do that, that money is going to probably go to other people and not mm. the people who actually made the thing I'm interacting mm-hmm. with. So yeah, I don't know, capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah, late-stage capitalism just destroying the art we love. But I think that there is reason to be optimistic. So on one end, end of the spectrum, you have this conglomerates and getting even more powerful by the day, Disney eating everybody, mm-hmm. Warner Brothers Proprietary and AT&T streaming merge, platforms. Have, yeah, yeah, everybody just, just gobbling up as much as they can. But on the other hand, you have things like Defector, started by our friends who used to run Deadspin, and they're essentially, I mean, Deadspin, uh, do they even publish anymore? I don't know. Um, I don't but, know. Uh, they, it, but they they started this thing, Defector, and like have been really successful in like getting people to subscribe directly to them and pay for them. And to another extent, like our show that we have come and taken and gotten entirely funded by you, find people who want to support creators it's of true. things that you enjoy. And so I do think that like the kind of crowdfunding revolution has created um, opportunities for creators that weren't there in the past. And so there are reasons to be optimistic. Um, even like it's kind of like a silver lining, even though it feels kind of hope crushing when these companies just like lay everybody off and it feels like all the money is consolidated into the billionaires. Uh, I do think there is, there is there are signs of hope, I guess. Sure, I'll take it. Yeah, Some, a silver lining, that's true. and a silver lining is always is always on a rain cloud. But I just want to want to be optimistic a little. No, bit. I like it. I like it, and it's certainly true that more people talk about collective action now than they ever did a few mm-hmm. years ago. We were just talking about Blizzard and collective action, and that conversation has super changed in the past few years, and that's been really cool to see. And so, I think that a large part of it is social media, and that like people can actually get to know creators on a level that they couldn't before. Um, like these days because if you have a Twitter account instead of just knowing what like Rocksteady is and that they're making Suicide Squad you might follow like programmers and artists from Rocksteady and like see their mm-hmm. their thoughts and see it's pretty cool. them as people perhaps. Yeah. yeah you can get to know them as people or and and yeah like instead of just getting to know the Deadspin brand you know these writers and so I think that has given a little bit more power to the creative people which I think is a good thing and would love to see more of that going forward so I guess the takeaway here is like try to support your creators in whatever way you can like directly um, instead of just buying instead of having all of your money go towards like the Disney pluses of the world maybe think about supporting a Patreon of your favorite creator or something like that. I think that is I think yeah. that is very true and a good note to end on support people who make cool stuff Yeah, and they will get to keep making that stuff all right. Exactly. Well, that is it for this episode. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, everybody, who signed up to be a member. And uh, I'll mm-hmm. see both of you next week. Yeah, goodbye. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edited and mixed the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. 
Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll head over to MaximumFun.org slash join and consider becoming a member. Doing so helps support us and gets you access to an exclusive Triple Click episode each month. Find us online at TripleClickPodcast.com, on Twitter at TripleClickPod, and send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.